Blood Brothers Podcast, a Five Pillars Production. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, my dear brothers, sisters, friends, and the foes out there. Welcome to another episode of the Blood Brothers Podcast with your host, Didi Hussein, and my co host, Aki Hussein. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. It's good to be back. Good to be back after eight months sabbatical. You have been missed. Thank you. Before I introduce today's esteemed and dear guest, um, I'd like to remind all the avid podcast listeners that you can find this show on all the major audio platforms. And for those of you who are watching on YouTube, don't be cheeky. Click subscribe and watch. Today's guest is a dear brother of mine. He's making a return for the second time after four years. He is someone who is a well-known face and figure, especially in the field of da'wah, a dear friend, brother, advisor. He is the founder of the Sapiens Institute, and that's none other than my brother, my friend, Ustad. Actually, I've never called you Ustad. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't feel right. No, it Ham- Hamza Zorsis. Assalamualaikum. Assalamualaikum, warahmatullahi wabarakatuh, brothers. How are you? Okay. Good, good, alhamdulillah. Good. You good? <laughs> I'm good. I, I'm just remembering our conversation we had a few minutes ago. Yeah, no, yeah let's not revisit that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy how the demeanor when the camera was off. It's yeah, true. You have to uh, you have to mature yourself very quickly. Mm. Okay. Recalibrating sometimes can be. Can yeah, be that's a better word to use because yeah. there's a sense of authenticity behind that recalibration. Do you th- do you think it's genuine though? Like to, to to be in a particular way off camera and on camera. It can be. It's not always the case. I do think one of the biggest failures in our online dawah is a lack of authenticity, which means you have undeclared intentions or undeclared negative intentions. So wow, you went straight into the online dawah thing. That wasn't even wasn't even on my list of things to discuss yet. Yeah, we could discuss it later. No problem. I just but let's but, but let's it. let's talk about the fact that you just got back from Pakistan. Yes, and mashallah, I was watching your vlogs and your posts. Uh, you're with our dear brother Salman Barton, our teacher, and our dear older Sheikh Haytham. How was the trip, bro? It was horrendous. Really? Are they, are Busy pa- wise, yeah. Pakistan yes. ready to establish Khilafah? <laughs> no, not at all. But I do think that if Pakistan revisits its mandate, because if you look at Pakistani history, or the history of the Muslims at that time, mm-hmm. there were thinkers in the 90s, 20, 1920s and 1930s that had this kind of Medinan mandate, yeah? That's this ummatic vision. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Pakistan is not an ethnicity. It's, it's like a nation. It's an idea, really. And Pakistan ke matlab kya la ilaha illa Absolutely So you had people from different ethnicities Balochis, Punjabis, Kashmiris and so Sindhis. on and so on. Bengalis yeah? Yes absolutely And they all came for that reason Because they wanted to be able to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And have their kind of spiritual identity You know secure So we're talking Are you referring to like the, the early fathers of the, the Muslim League The Khilafat movement Like the founding fathers of yes. the, the very early movement Yes Dr. Asrar uh, Yes absolutely and, and what's important is After the 1947 partition It was horrendous bro We had one of the I think The greatest migration That you could hear about Yes it And it was horrendous true. Sisters were raped Our brothers were massacred mm-hmm. Even babies mm-hmm. were massacred and killed and blood was was spilled, Muslim blood, for this ummatic vision. Mm-hmm. And obviously now what's happened is what has happened and we could discuss that. But I think when we think about Pakistan as an idea, it's my country as well, if you think about it. Because I became Muslim 20 years ago or so and I believe in la ilaha illallah. And if that was the vision for Pakistan, then we should try and get them to revisit that mandate and to optimize the nation and when i was there and i still believe this i believe pakistan has the potential to lead the ummah 100 mm. percent. you have 
people who are intellectual, spiritual, you have money there, you have people who are close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you have people who are passionate. A willingness to sacrifice. A hundred percent. And that is a very good sign. But at the moment, there are a lot of challenges. I was at the private universities and it's horrendous. The LGBTQ plus narrative, liberalism, even Marxism, bro. So atheism is on the rise in Pakistan amongst the elites. It's been pushed. And now it's also amongst the poor. There's a there's an element of neo-Marxism that's creeping in, right? Mm. And they're playing on the fears and the wants of the people. And I feel compelled to go back. I'm planning to go back to do like a massive tour of the private universities, but not just a tour, but to try and empower people to be able to share and defend Islam academically and intellectually. And there are many people who are willing to support that. And there are, there's great doubt happening in Pakistan anyway, like with Youth Club, of with Nasiha Institute yeah, yeah. and all these other, um, you know, they're ulama, a lot of them, right? The students of knowledge. And they have backing and they have money and they have a form of social power and even political connections. And if we bring them all together and we basically get vision alignment, we can actually battle those ideological forces that are trying to engulf the hearts and minds of the Muslims. Like I was at Lums. <laughs> I call Lums a toilet, yeah? yeah. Um, sometimes they, I say it's an intellectual toilet, but that's unfair. But there are some elements where, you know, you could argue that's true. But it's a toilet as well because there's a river right side Lums and it stinks. For yeah? our viewers and listeners, Lums is an L- acronym for... Yeah, Lums is one of the private universities. It's like the Oxford for... Uh, Oxford of Pakistan yeah. is the Lahore University uh, Management Sciences mm-hmm. of manage- Management Sciences, and I was actually banned there for about ten years. Then when I came, they lifted. Well, what the did ban- you do to get banned from there? I had a discussion with Professor Hoodboy. Mm. Oh, you bought him a cake, didn't you? No, no, that was someone else. That's someone else. Yeah. Okay. Well, carry on. Hoodboy. So the Hoodboy discussion, it just spilled over online, and there were some lies that were being told, and there was some friction. Anyway, to cut a long story short, for some reason I was banned there, mm. but they lifted that ban, and I gave a a talk on I think atheism, the mirage of atheism. But I I spoke about you know liberalism and liberal conceptions of freedom and all of these other things and i said to them look don't think that what's coming from the other side of the ideological universe it's good for you and they want good for you and don't think it's universal and absolute and because you know Wait, been, well, what are you referring to western anglosphere western hemisphere that kind of well liberalism and postmodernism and the lgbtq plus narrative you know it's being sold to the pakistani elites especially at university as something that's absolute and universal and i said to them look learn to critically think every postulation every idea has its own philosophical moral assumptions learn to unpack them and once you do that then you could expose the fact that it's not absolute and universal even in the academic sphere the idea of freedom for example it's not absolute, it's not universal, especially at the liberal conception, because freedom is about the absence of coercion in the academic literature. And the absence of coercion is not being forced to do something or having an untenable, implausible um, alternative, but rather, and I don't want to go into the ac- academic stuff, but You've it's- already started. Yeah, but, <laughs> okay, so coercion is really about having your rights violated. Mm-hmm. So freedom is the absence of coercion and coercion, and people should read the book by Whiteheimer called Coercion. Uh, and if coercion is about your rights being violated, then freedom is when you have your rights fulfilled. And when your freedom is curtailed is when you have your rights unfulfilled, right? It's a violation of your rights. But then the question in, in the academic Western space is, well, whose conception of rights? The liberal conception, the positive view, the negative view. And since there is that differing, we would say 
that the rights that we should have are the rights that Allah has given us because he has every right to give us our rights. He's Al-Alim, Al-Hakim, he's the knowing, he's the wise, he's Al-Barq, the source of all goodness. And, you know, we're divine command theorists. So when Allah commands something, we know it's good for us because it's in line with his perfect names and attributes and not have any limitations or any flaw. I said, this is what you need to unpack. Don't, don't be sold a wrong narrative, especially when it comes from a liberal paradigm. Were you saying that 10 years ago? Were you saying that now in your recent trip? My articulation of it in this way is because I've spent like, I don't know, eight or nine years in academia now. I'm a PhD student. I've done three postgrads in philosophy. I'm not trying to blow my trumpet. I'm just trying to say that I've immersed myself. No, not at all. Do you have a trumpet? I'm trying to, I've immersed myself in the tradition to be able to unpack these nuances. And I'm trying to empower the youth or the future elites to understand what's really going on, especially when it comes to liberalism, because Liberalism has this idea of atomism or individualism. It reduces the individual to an abstract entity devoid of social obligations and attachments. And they want people to adopt that. But we don't have that assumption. That's not part of our aqidah, our paradigm. So I'm trying to get people to realize this. Even with the LGBTQ stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Concerning same-sex um, intercourse. Why is that immoral? Well, well, why do they think it's immoral? Why do they think it's moral rather? Because they have certain assumptions. At least three. One assumption is they have self-ownership of other bodies. Yep. Second assumption is they may adopt a, a utilitarianism, which is an, uh, uh, an ethical view, it's a theory of ethics, normative ethical theory, that it's the greatest number of happiness for the greatest number of people. Without infringing on someone else's. Yeah, but the other thing they would have is a liberal paradigm, which liberalism is not really about ethics, it's about rights. They say, well, it's your individual right. All those three things we can challenge philosophically. Number one, we don't own ourselves. This is basic Tawheed. Allah is the master, the owner, sustainer, the maintainer of everything that exists. He owns our bodies. So that shifts the paradigm. Therefore, Allah has every right to tell us what to do with our bodies. Secondly, we're not necessarily speaking utilitarian ethicists. We're divine command theorists. That's what's moral, the divine command, not utilitarianism. Uh -huh. Even if we do adopt this idea of maslaha, masada, the benefits and the harms, well-being and suffering, decreasing suffering, increasing well-being. Even if we do that, we do it within a divine command perspective. Yeah, And the liberalism stuff, we're not atomists, we're not individualists. We don't believe that... We don't have a liberal view on individual rights. There may be some overlaps, but we have the divine command view. So what we do, we just show that, I'm sorry, I appreciate, I intellectually empathize while you have that perspective, which is Eurocentric. It came from a specific European exercise and his historical context. Don't impose on us that it's universal and absolute. And if we disagree with it, we're bigots. No, shut your mouth. You're a bigot because you're not uncovering the differences of opinion in your Western tradition and the philosophical assumptions that you have that you need to ground and you need to show that they're coherent Hamza, and then you're clearly getting very angry uh, no I'm not getting, I'm getting passionate angry, because okay. I'll tell you why because <laughs> we're not here to hate or discriminate from that perspective we're here to, to say don't the hate truth. debate we're here to say the truth look my view is this Surah Mumtahana verse 8 Allah says Allah does not forbid you to be just and kind with those who do not fight you for your religion and do not expel you from your homes and Allah uses the word bir which is the same word used for parents, yeah? It's a very intense word. It's like, be very genuinely good to people. Be Have a sense of rahmah and love and, and hasana and goodness for people, for sure. Whoever they are. As long as you don't fight as far as religion and you don't expel us from our homes. So, I don't... What, 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 what if they try and indoctrinate your children at the age of five? Yeah, then we intellectually challenge it. So, you know, Allah talks about this, like, you know, strive with it to be he, which is the Quran referring to the Quran, jihad and kabira, a great striving, a great struggle. And we need to use the arguments of the Quran and the greatest arguments of the Quran are from a Tawhidic 
perspective, the unicity of Allah. And so when we unpack these false assumptions, they would say, oh, well then don't force your religion on us. Well, thank you very much. Don't force your deen and religion on us. Mm -hmm. Let's have an aqidah discussion, a philosophical discussion without you calling me a bigot because I have a different worldview and the assumptions of my worldview are grounded and coherent. Your assumptions are bakwas, as we say in Urdu. Yeah? And that's why in, when I was giving lectures at the private universities, I would call it bakwas-isms. Yeah. Because it is. It's it is. literally bakwas-isms. Let me, let me, let me You've often been mistaken as being Pakistani. Did that happen while you were out there? I think so, yeah. They, I mean, I look, I guess, Pakistani, yeah, which is a great but, but compliment the, to the. Of course, <laughs> to I know it's the, Greek, the Greeks for centuries and thousands have been smashed by all kinds of people, so like there's a lot of mixing happening there. So, yeah, yeah, Turks, smashed. Arabs, yeah. yeah, interesting. Yeah, so, interesting. so, anyway, um, let me just rewind a bit because you, you, you made you referenced the elite, yes, right? And you, you also mentioned in the podcast who's that brother who has that. He has like a biker look with a big beard. His brother Zia. Zia, yeah, beautiful brother. Beautiful, beautiful brother. brother. And I think it was in that podcast you did say that look, Pakistan does have the potential, of course, to be does. leaders of the Ummah, yes. right? So let me just rewind it a little bit, right? To because you you, you you gave your spiel, mm -hmm. and, we, and we and we will touch upon some of those themes throughout yeah, the please, entire podcast. Please, yeah, yeah. Um, and this applies to you as well. Um, your children are half Greek, half Bangladeshi. Yes. Your children, my dear. Nieces, mm. half Bangladeshi, half Pakistani. Right? Mm. So Pakistan's that concept of La ilaha illallah, right? It didn't last as long as 30, 30 years in the case of East Pakistan, which is now Bangladesh. I don't want to rile up any kind of asabiya or any kind of like nationalist kind of grievances, but there's a lot of lessons that could be learned from that episode, right? Because the whole idea was that Pakistan would be the home where Muslims can practice Islam freely. Yes. Right? That model didn't work with its current elite and establishment and how it dealt with East Pakistan at the time. You're banned from Bangladesh, right? No. Okay, when will you be going to Bangladesh then? When I'm invited. Okay, have you been invited yet? No. Okay, so let me ask Aki first and then I'll come to you. What advice would you give or what would you say to those, because I've met practicing Bangladeshi Muslims who still have grievances from 71. And this notion of an Islamic Pakistan, yeah, it's all good and well. It didn't work here, though. And we were the first product of where it should have worked. What would your thoughts be on that? Well, on Bangladesh, you hold that view. Many, you know that many hold that view. Well, I think uh, if you look at examples of Bangladeshis that we've engaged with, whether it's family or whether it's friends or people generally in the community, online, in person, I think it actually goes back to perhaps their worldview and how they view history and how they view... Um, the purpose behind why things happened, um, how they understand unity, brotherhood, uh, how much of a role Islam plays in their lives, how much of a role Islam plays, um, how, how much of a role they believe Islam should play in the world um, and in communities and in populations and in nations. Um, what would your thought be that Bangladesh can be an Islamic nation without necessarily having to be a part of Pakistan or a wider pan-Islamic country? I think, the, I think the ambition and the vision comes from a good place. It comes from a place where Muslims and a community, they identify with something that they very, feel very strongly about, something that they've grown up with, something they believe in. And perhaps where it could be misplaced is believing that it's something they can do um, alone, something they can do as a nation. Um, as a group of people without completely, without any assistance or any support um, of their brothers and sisters globally. Um, so I think uh, there is... Uh, there is a mindset issue? It's a mindset issue, but I think it's a, it's a deep historical issue as well. It's a deep historical issue. Generational trauma? 
Well, generational trauma is something that you have to absolutely recognize because when we're talking about war, when we talk about conflict, we're talking about people who have been ripped from their homes, murdered, raped, violated in the most unspeakable ways. Uh, it will really skew how you view another people. It'll really skew how you view how who you should be viewing as your brother and your sister. Uh, you will view as your enemy because of those tragedies, because of those incidences, because of the violence. Um, so there is sometimes you have to sit with the experience. You have to sit with the event. You have to sit with the incident and really unpick it and talk about it, and understand it, mm. and understand how something something so outrageous and horrific can happen, and how it doesn't necessarily mean that a group of people have that in their nature. That's what they wish for you in yes. terms of violence. And of course, we know that no son is guilty for the crimes of their forefathers and, and stuff like this. Yes. You mentioned elite, mm -hmm. and you mentioned that it's been pushed, the kind of whole liberalism idea, secular liberalism idea, the LGBT agenda stuff has been pushed via the elite. So any engagement with people of influence in Pakistan, the elite, not necessarily those who are from the religious class, those who are perhaps not from the religious class, that may be influenced from these ideas or could perhaps intervene yes. in in your trip. Without mentioning names, of course, if, you, if, you, if you're not in a position to I do so. I think one of the challenges that the religious communities have in Pakistan is to engage with communities that do not seem religious, although they have religious sensitivities. Yeah. Okay. So, for example, there was a law that was passed a few years ago with regards to gender and, yes, and self-identity. Yes, yeah, so it was the transgender bill. Yes. Where basically what, what they're known as Qusra or Qusra, they were given right, certain rights and protections. Well, I mean, the, I think that already existed. And or, or was you, it the one pertaining to hermaphrodites? No, it was to do with you can self-identify yeah. without, without going to a clinic, mm. without, without basically having any kind of medical certificate. Like okay. in Scotland? Yeah. So, well, it was going to happen in it Scotland. It was going to happen, yeah. yeah. So... That has the that's potentially going to be reversed because some people who do not seem religious but they have religious sensitivities and may seem a bit secular have actually done a lot of work behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they're, they're now going to enact that. Okay, you have to now go to a clinic, go to a professional to get it signed off. You can't just merely identify. Mm -hmm. You know, so that has happened because there's been work behind the scenes between the religious and the seemingly not religious communities. Yeah, and people of influence and wealth. Yeah. And connecting with politicians who have Islamic affinities and Quick dispositions. Quick are, are they linking it to, or are you seeing correlation or similarities between the LGBTQ issue and all those alphabet categorizations and Pakistan? Or is it, do, are you seeing that it's a different flex there? I don't know because I'm not an expert on what's going on. But the point I wanted to raise here was that that success story from an Islamic ethical perspective has happened because people with seemingly different, maybe worldviews, but there are some... Overlaps. They have religious sensitivities. They've actually worked together. Generally speaking, that's not kind. Of, it's a bit of a taboo now that you have someone who is orthodox and they have a beard and they look in a particular devout. way, yeah. and they're going to align themselves with maybe a non-hijabi businesswoman, for example, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's problematic. That you have to outweigh the maslaha and masada because you know they're trying to engulf the hearts and minds of the youth and of the population and it's through law and there are external actors as well that are playing a huge role and people need to come together for good right you can't say oh you know but they they look like this or they act like this so they're not on our kind of um you know what's the word to use methodology mm -hmm. whatever the case may be 
But I think when it comes to these very severe big issues, there needs to be a sense of working together. Yeah. And how big of an issue actually is it though? You know, from your engagement with with brothers in Pakistan in the da'wah, how mm. big of an issue is it actually? Because you're talking about a nation of two hundred ten million. What million. issue? The issue the of working together. Of, what the influence of LGBTQ yeah, plus? Yeah. Oh, it's huge. It's universities. Well, I, I've got a couple of posters to show you. I was at Lums. And there was a poster called Why Period Art Matters. No, but Habibi, we're talking about yeah. a nation that's 210 million people. The vast majority are poor, like similar to Bangladesh. How many of these actual average laity people are being affected that's, by these uh, ideas? With all due respect, that question is kind of misplaced. I'll I tell you why. Because you have to understand this. Because we have to be mindful of not to blow up an issue bigger Agreed, than it is. But we, we have to understand this. Think of a chess game. You have pawns, yeah? Yeah. And then you have your queen, your king, your bishops, your rookies, etc. So the pawns can be sacrificed, yeah? Mm -hmm. And if you don't have your queen or your bishop or your rookies or your horses in the right position. Influentials. Yes. The, so my the point is the if the elites and mm -hmm. don't forget there's a massive middle class since post two thousand and one, two thousand and two in Pakistan. It's huge. Yeah. For a country in like the hundreds of millions, it's mm -hmm. a big middle class. Mm -hmm. And the elite universities give funding to people of, you know, lesser economic status. So you're going to have future middle class, future elites, future influentials, future politicians, future leaders. Mm -hmm. Generations to come. In generations to come. You have to play the chess game. Forget one or two years. Forget the now. Think about 10, 20, 30 years ahead. Now, the tra trajectory is if it continues this way, then we could lose the kind of the Islamic ethos of Pakistan. Right. I'm sensing a. I'm sensing. Correct me if I'm wrong, my dear brother. Yes. I'm sensing somewhat of an appreciation or acknowledgement of the top-down Dawa style. Yes, yeah, both. I, I always, I always argue it's both. It's it's top-down and bottom-up. No, but, yeah. but it seems far more overt these days. But the way you're talking about it right now, if we were to look at Hamza Zosh's videos from years ago, there wasn't much talk about Dawa to the elites and chessboards and archbishops. Well, it's a prophetic approach to engage with the influentials and that yeah. can change over time and place and it's not necessarily the politicians by the way yeah it could be it depends you have to understand you have to do impact analysis you have to do your influential it's analysis of your not. stakeholder analysis so you have yeah. to understand who are the ones who are basically pulling the strings yeah. but you, for that to happen you need a kind of collective consciousness of people having islamic sentiments yeah for you how so, so it's both it? It's extremely worrying. I'm going back. That's mm. how worrying it is. I said, I, I'll come back. I'll clean your toilets if I have to. I'm not saying that to show some kind of humility. I was trying to, it's a hyperbolic expression to show that you something. Tried, you, you tried the Ghazali flex. Yeah, something, something, <laughs> something needs to happen. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. There are so many great organizations there. Great Du'at, Youth Club, uh, Nasiha Institute. It's fantastic. And we were there with Sheikh Haytham with our... Uh, the Visionaries Project, we have people from Ahl Hadith, from the Diobandi community, business community, any, they any, came all together. Do you have anyone from the kind of Brelvi? I think, yeah, those 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 dispositions were there as well. And they came together to start thinking about Allah-centric, Akhira-centric vision, having a specific strategy in order to uh, have change, positive change. Because one, of the issues with Pak because one of the issues with Pakistan, similar to Bangladesh, but perhaps Bangladesh to a lesser degree, and the reason why I keep referencing Bangladesh is because there are lots of similarities, yeah. right? As well as there's some differences. Sectarianism is rife. Yeah, of course it is. And yeah. the impact of the voices and the opinions coming from in academic institutes. Yeah. So what, what was the vibe you were getting? It's from it's ch I think it's changing. Alhamdulillah. Yeah, it's That's definitely wicked. changing. Because people are seeing there are bigger problems now. Like, you know, our house is on fire and you're worried about, I don't know, there's a broken chair in the living room. I mean, with all due respect, <laughs> it's like... Yeah, you do see my point. Yeah, course, Don't get me wrong. There are some things that Islamic orthodoxy, orthodoxy cannot 
compromise on, like the unicity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and related issues for sure. But there's a lot that you, there's a lot within that, within the kind of orthodox methodology, if you want to use that, or the ethical, you know, criteria that we have from our tradition, mm -hmm. from the Quran and the Sunnah, sunnah and, and the pious scholars, that we can apply and actually work on certain things in order to bring that sense of unity, or at least have some effective change, or at least become a barrier against these ideologies that are trying to destroy Pakistan. You know, I was saying in Lums, I was saying, look, if do you want to individualize your society, atomize your society? Is that what you want? You want to send, do you want your children to send you to old people's homes, which are like glorified concentration camps? Is that, is that what you want? You, you're taking these ideas from people that even solved their own problems. I said, look, okay, hypothetically speaking, say Islam needs to change or reform, hypothetically. Just turn the tables. To what? What is what success story do we have? Tell me. Absolutely. You're gonna wait eight hours in a. Did anyone give you any case studies? No. Because mm. I'm from the West. I know what's going on. Uh, you're gonna wait eight hours at least for you know uh, host, uh, for &E. for the host, for in A and E. Yeah. Uh, you're gonna send your <laughs> you're gonna send your your parents to glorified concentration camps, old people's homes. You're going to basically you want social fragmentation and decay. Do you want to understand what it means to be a human? They don't. Do you want to understand what genders really are? No idea of what family is. Come on, man. It's, no it's, marriage. It's look, substance abuse. The child, look, teenage. Th this is cross-cultural as well. I get that. But I'm just framing it in this way to get people to understand. Well, if you want these ideas, you need to understand the impact of these ideas. There are cultural wars happening in the West at the moment. You know, family is... Is being families are being destroyed. Yeah, what it means to be human is being destroyed. Frankly, there's on mass child abuse happening. Yeah. So and so I said to them, Yani, at the end of the day, is this what you want for 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 your communities? Now a lot of them, I understand, the elites have religious trauma. Yeah. An inferiority complex. And of course, I, I said Massive. you have. We're going through post-colonial trauma. We have an inferiority complex, and so on and so forth. But that can only change if we have authentic, warm discussions yeah. and talk about the elephant in the room. Yes, you think religious people are like this. Yes, you may think that Islam is incoherent. Okay, well, let's discuss that. Let me show you why it's not incoherent. Let me tell you why it's true. Let me tell you why it's good for society. Let me tell you why, yes, I agree with some of your personal experiences at home or you know the experiences that you see in the social atmosphere with regards to the religious class. I get that. And we have to have the authentic, compassionate, wise discussion with these people and, and get them to grow. And get how, them are to some of the, how are some of these discussions received? When you did engage at LUMS with, with students? Oh, it was very positive. Teachers? I mean, look. Because there's that conception in our country, where we come from, the Mullah Mulvi concept. Yeah, like these guys, you know, if, if you can't make it in life, you become a Mullah or Mulvi. Yeah, that's you know? deliberate. Yeah. So yeah, the, 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 the liberal media in Pakistan, generally speaking, and, and I said this to them, when there's an issue, they'll have a clean-shaven, handsome, well-dressed, suited, academic that may sprinkle some Islamic terms, but really just push a kind of ideologically alien narrative, a worldview that is not really connected to the to the religion, to Islam. And then you have some other guy who basically doesn't look that well, maybe a bit overweight, doesn't look good, can't articulate themselves. And when you're growing up, you're going to see yourself in the first person, not in, you know, in the yeah, second person. Yeah, you want to be suited and moved. In, in, you want to be, you know, handsome, articulate, so intelligent, professional. Well, you, you, get, you, get, you get the people who are balanced, who are orthodox, who are Islamic. Mm -hmm. You know, people like from Youth Club, for example. And you give them the platform. And you say, look, you have people who know the religion well. Uh, they know the worldview. They know that Islam is true. They could show it's true. They know we have superior values and ethics. And they also are able to intellectually and emotionally empathize and understand that you've gone on a particular journey for internal and external reasons. 
and we could unpack all of that and help you grow. And they'll say, look, and you could be like me. I'm a compassionate person. I can articulate myself. I'm assertive when needed. Um, I, I'm able to provide solutions who, from the tradition. Who, who are you describing here? There are people there. Oh. Yeah, there are people there. Yeah. So, so you're describing yourself. <laughs> Thank you, bro. Thank you. So uh, I take it as a compliment. No, he meant that's you, the first thing you thought. No, no, he meant you were doing that deliberately. Oh, okay. Oh. Okay. Mashallah. You can take that. Thank you back now. <laughs> you're traveling with Sheikh Ethan. Let's, let's, let's touch upon about traveling. Is that the first time you traveled with him? No. It's, uh, I've traveled him with him before, but I spent time with him in, in, in a very intimate way. Like we you know, prayed together, ate yeah. together, and all of that stuff. So we were, the visionaries is. Is, it, is this the first time you've traveled in for this duration? Yeah, so the Visionaries, the project that we have is a Sapient Sybil collaboration project where we want people to have a Allah-centric, Akhira-centric vision and we want the vision to be lofty and we want them to be someone with regards to that. Sapient's got the charity status here. Are no, you, no you we're, we're not going to be charity. No. Oh, we have it in the America, oh. so we're 501c3, but not in the UK. And there are uh, smart reasons for that. We're still a not-for-profit, structurally, mm -hmm. and we act like a charity, but we've decided not to become a charity for various reasons. Good call. Now, the thing is, so the visionaries is that we want people to have defined success in the correct way. People think success is like money or materialism, or they think success is achieving something in the dunya, or success is just the akhirah. It's actually both. Success having good life, the best life in this life, and the greatest triumph, as Allah says, is going to Jannah. Yeah, so we get them to redefine success. We have a very lengthy, intelligent discussion around that, based on the Quran and the Sunnah, of course. And then once we define success for them, we say, right, what is your? You need to have to have to. You need to have a lofty goal, a lofty vision. Mm. Yeah, how you know the Prophet said, if you can ask for Jannah, you ask for Firdaus. Always think big. Allah says, ask for the the, the dunya and the akhirah. Yeah. So we get them to have a lofty goal and we make them realize your goal is lofty. Therefore, you can't do it yourself. Your organization can't do it yourself. So that automatically means I need to start to unite and be with, connect with others and help others, and support others. Of an ummatic vision. Yes, it's so important because people sometimes they think they may think they have a lofty goal, but the vision just ends with the organization. I think the organization is the, the means and the ends, which is a terrible egocentric, egotistical view on, on, on the dawah. The dawah is always bigger than the organization. The organization is always bigger than the individual. Yeah, that's what we always have to remember. And we get people to think what is most pleasing to ever, Allah. Did you, ever, did you ever feel that you were ever bigger than Ayura? Like no, 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 of course not. Okay. Do you ever think that maybe... Well, I hope not. Did you, do you ever feel that maybe our brother Muhammad Hijab thinks he's bigger than Sapiens? No. Okay, that's good. No. I mean, I know things about Hijab that many people don't know. So he works like... He works the current of three people, so... He gets underpaid, uh, so he 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 has a very good work ethic. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, there, there was some very. I mean, there was some unfair criticism against. I mean, I digress. You know, some alluding to the fact that he was profiteering from the whole kind of Jordan Peterson uh, engagement and stuff. I hope those things were corrected. Do you In remember? What way? Was, remember someone making assertions that you know there, he was profiteering from algorithms. Yeah, well, these people are. I mean, maybe he could have got he got more popular. That's for sure. That's that's no one's going to deny that. But he wasn't. But there was some insinuation that were unfair. I thought. Well, of course they were unfair because I know hijab. Hijab spends money in the dawah. Mm. Like I, the guy like acts like he doesn't even feel fear, fear poverty. Yeah. So he has that kind of you could call it naivety, but I think it comes from a deep, uh, deep rooted love for the deen. So, and uh, I could just say on the record that he at least works uh, the full time equivalent of two roles. He's doing a full time PhD. He's doing an Islamic degree. I think that's full time as well. He works for us full time. I mean, come on, man. 
I don't know where he gets the time to be honest. Shahizam, tell us a bit about how. But yeah, I'm going to connect that. So we do the vision, lofty vision. Then we say, how do you see the world? So for example, mm. my personal vision is, or my organizational vision as well is, I want to see a world where people are convinced of Islam. I see a world convinced of Islam. So that's my see. I mm. can't do that myself. Mm. Now, if I'm Allah centric, Akhirah centric, it's about the pleasure of Allah. Then I'm going to do things behind the scenes that are not con that's not connected to me as an individual or the organization because my vision is bigger than that. I'm going to help others, I'm going to support others, I'm going to maybe fundraise for others as well, whatever. Um, and then after, I need to be someone now. So connected to my vision, I need to be convinced of Islam and I need to be able to convince others of Islam in the most optimized way. So that's my C, I see a world convinced of Islam. Now I must be someone who's convinced of Islam and, and I have the ability to convince others. Then after the C and the B, now there is a do. What do I have to do to achieve the B in order to achieve the C? Mm. And there's what we do, we teach people to categorize their life in a way like you have ibadah, you have professionalism, you have aqidah or ilm, you have all of these things and you have specific actions that you have to demonstrate that link to the B, that link to the C. And then you'll have smart targets, specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, timely, that you have daily, weekly, monthly, yearly and lifetime goals or actions that you need to do in order to achieve that. What that does, that raises your game. Every, you, there's no such thing as wasting time because you know exactly what you need to do. You're not going to be petty anymore. If someone says something about you, forget it, big deal. I got a bigger, I got bigger fish to fry. Yeah, that's right. Someone's going to hold your account. You're going to enjoy being held to account because you know this is connected to your C, your B, and plus you're a public figure. You should yearn to be held to account. Yeah, this is the ethic that we should follow. So we give people all of these three things, and it is a transformative journey because in the beginning, people are thinking, oh, "I've heard this before," or you know, "I'm a multimillionaire." We had people who are like really rich and successful, but at the end, they were like, oh, "This was transformative. It changed my life. It changed my perspective." Yeah. So we give, get people to have the see, how they see the world, who they must be, and then what they must do in order to achieve that. And we do it in an Allah-centric way, an Akhirah-centric way, inshallah. And we get people, we give deliver around 12 or 14 principles from the Quran and the Sunnah on the success for da'wah. Things including, you know, time management, thinking, being time conscious, having compassion, love. We talk about hikmah, what is hikmah? You know, we go into a discussion on that. We talk about... Uh, mentoring, uh, you know, enrolling people in your behavior, and we link it to the sunnah. When we, when I was studying this and going through this, and obviously Sheikh Haytham and me were doing this like in different ways in parallel, uh -huh. and the way we developed this, it was an impromptu conversation outside the Chinese embassy. Okay. And Sheikh Haytham was pressing me, let's do this, let's do this, and I was like half intention, yeah. And it was, all credit goes to Sheikh Haytham for this being a huge success. Ashram. So we've been to Turkey, we've been to Pakistan, we've engaged with people like maybe over sixteen countries or so. Multiple organizations we helped, you know, get them to have a really Allah-centric, Akhirah-centric vision connected to the Sunnah. Um, we're going to Tanzania, hopefully, and Did we're going to try and do this all around the world because this is what Saudi is needed. <laughs> <laughs> I have a policy of not talking about specific names and do, stuff do, like do that. You, do you think you can incorporate the twenty thirty vision? Well, the funny thing is, me and Hijab, we were there as part of a Sapiens collaboration with another organization and we did something in Saudi. We did a Dao training course, That's we did Tadabbar of the Quran, yeah. that Umrah stuff. So you, you're still able to to do things, yeah, you know, know, within certain, uh, within a certain, whatever you call it. But the point here is, so Sheikh Haytham, yeah? So, you know, I led IERA, Alhamdulillah, it was a great blessing. I was forced to become CEO, like in 2017. I was about CEO for around three years. And, you know, you know, may Allah guide my father. He, you know, instilled I mean, certain principles that when it comes to social public things, 
you have to be very scrupulous, yeah. So I tried to implement that in the organization. And sometimes when you're in the Dao sector, you've traveled the world, you met some of the biggest du'at, the mashayikh, and so on and so forth. You get a sense of our standards are not as high as they should be. Mm. And maybe this is a chip on my shoulder, maybe this is my ego, I don't know. But I'm trying to be authentic with you. When I looked above, I didn't see any key role models. Now, I know they, are, they exist, but I didn't engage with them, yeah? Uh, and basically what happened was is just... Irrespective of if you agree with Sheikh Haytham's theology or not, or his politics or whatever, is irrelevant here. Sheikh Haytham is an absolute beast. Hafidullah. May Allah preserve. I'm telling you, he is the standard we should be following. And I've seen. I have no. I've traveled with the biggest people. With you know, I'm. Inv I helped create du'at. Yeah. And I'm telling you, Sheikh Haytham is such an inspiration. Like I love him. Ah, subhanallah. I get emotional. Let me let me tell you something. Yeah. Sheikh Haytham would fast Mondays and Thursdays even if he's ill and if he's traveling. He had diarrhea for 10 days in Pakistan. He mentioned it publicly. Yeah? 10 days, he was still fasting. He said, I'm strong, I'm going to do it. Um, he would do night prayers, I think, every single night. I don't know how and when he sleeps. Yeah, He would not complain. Like, you know, some du'at, they would say one event a day, two events a day. And I thought I had high standards. Like certain, I would certain travel requirements. Yeah, I would work really hard. Like I would try and work from like seven in the morning to like midnight, and try not to complain. Yeah, because if I worked for business for dunya, I would work even harder maybe. But in the da'wah, we should work harder. Yeah, so that's why I want to try and work even harder. Sheikh Haytham, I was embarrassed, bro. His energy was constant. Mm. He was on point. Work. He's like he's a he 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 just recovered from cancer. Yeah, twice. He's too. he's not as young as me. And I'm like, what an inspiration, yeah? Always doing dhikr, always doing Qur'an, never wasting time. I, I don't think I ever saw him angry. Yeah, Never saw him complain. Money, his scrupulousness with money, bro. Like, he could order other stuff for his iftar. I was in his hotel room. And he wanted an omelette, bless him, yeah? <laughs> and he would say things like, and they said it was extra charge. He wouldn't take it. Because he didn't, and, he, and it was allowed because the organization would pay for him, but he wouldn't take it. He's like, oh, why would I play with my akhirah like that? Mm. Well, he things like this pay for his own taxi, um, sleep in a masjid, doesn't care where he sleeps, who share rooms with people. Like, th this is something else, man. And Whereas Salman, on the other hand, was. <laughs> no, that's what Salman is. <laughs> Mashallah, one thing that Sheikh Haytham has done, and this, and Sapiens collaborating with Sibyl, bro, the brothers and Sibyl, they're tarbiyah, yeah, like yeah. egoless, bro. Shabbat. I'm like, it's like I've seen a new realm of the Dawah that is like... How come? I, I'm not hating on other people, no, by the no, way, yeah? Sabir, I'm just trying Sabir's to say... Sabir's I, been around for time, so how come you've just become exposed to their Tarbiya type of manifestation now? I mean, they have, they've been around for some time. That's a very good question. I think it's because, you know, I was... Is it, is it the, the, the level of exposure you had or the, the level of... No, no, it's not really. I think it's because, time. you know, sometimes you're organizationally restricted. Or sometimes, you know, there's certain policies and rightly risk, so. Risk assessments. Yeah, risk assessments, yeah. And I think sometimes that becomes self-sabotage in the long run. I've said that for time. It, uh, we create our own hurdles. No, I know it's needed, but we have to also realize that there is an element of self-sabotage as well. Because if you look, if you really have a vision, like 10, 20 years, if we carry on like this, then what happens is you're not going to have effective change. Brothers, because effect, I, yeah, so I've used a list of clarity. So what we're talking about here is when... Uh, DAO organizations who are definitely who are generally uh, registered charities. There are certain laws and policies and that you put in place that can be counterproductive and backfire in the future. That's in the I'm future, it could be, yeah. yeah. And I think those people are aware of that anyway. And because I know the brothers, they're really sincere. They know they're going to try and mitigate that in some way. 
but there is an element of self-sabotage. It could be that, and it could be that I didn't have that much access. I was busy on other things. But look, nevertheless, the point is the tadbir that he's given them, egoless, the 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 level of worship, the intensity of the worship, even when traveling, the scrupulousness, the brotherhood. Like Sheikh Haytham was like in the Turkey retreat, some person just basically wanted to leave and was upset with him. And it wasn't Sheikh Haytham's fault at all. If it was me, I would probably maybe even try to humiliate the guy because maybe he deserved it. I don't know. Sheikh Haytham took the blame, apologized. It's my fault. Like really living... The aspects of the sunnah that are really, really powerful from a kind of character perspective. Yeah? Proper prophetic masculinity. So when it comes to money, to scrupulousness, to ibadah, to working really hard, his ethics are here. Yeah. And I'm not saying what other people do is haram, but I'm saying he's more of the standard. Pr- praiseworthy. Like, and we have to elevate our standards. Like I've been involved in the da'wah and some of the things that I've seen, yeah, I really, my ego has wanted to go public and say, Fine, your private life is your private life. Allah can forgive that. But when it comes to public things and money and the way you are and how you treat people and your principles, like wallahi, one dime, one cent of, of ummah's money, yeah, being misallocated, this could be your jahannam, yeah? Or even just, and so for us, it's the attitude that we should have, yeah? And Sheikh Haytham, I think, embodies that attitude. And he is, an, he is my role model. He is my role model. Alhamdulillah. Like, you know, Every time, and you see that. So when I'm hanging around with him, after the four days or five days or a week I'm with him, I really feel that I could take over the whole world. <laughs> I could go out there and take over the whole world. I'm like, you know, I feel like, you know, empowered and, you know. You energized. Know, energized, yeah. And, and you could see, like, you know, things like when he says, like, you know, if you really knew who Allah was and the majesty of Allah, you would never lift your head from sajda. And you could see that's him. That's that's how he acts. That's how that's his way of being. And Alhamdulillah. And, and, the, and the fact that he wants to empower brothers so they can come closer to Allah, the fact that he focuses on ibadah a lot, like you like he, he's he's living the life of how a day should live, right? And he should be our role model. And it's made me realize that we have a lot of work to do with myself and with our brothers and even organizationally. Sometimes we we adopt secular or capitalist or liberal strategies and ethics and we sprinkle a little bit of Islam on it in the name of um, pragmatism or in the name of it's allowed to do. But with all due respect, if you're going to have a halal and haram mindset when it comes to the dawah, you're not going to have that much barakah. Allah says, you know, the, the, the triumph or the success is the, the final outcome is with the righteous, yeah? Mm. And we need to elevate our game, you know? And so what Sheikh Haytham teaches is, you may have many halal options. Pick the one that is closest to the pleasure of Allah. You may have many blameworthy options. Pick the one that is less blameworthy. So that mindset itself shows an element of ikhlas. And this is a collective thing. And we have a responsibility to elevate our game as, as du'at, because at the moment, there is a form of individualism, there's a form of branding, there's a form of this is about me, there's a form of, you know, you know, not being scrupulous enough with principles and money and all of these things. And we need to remove ourselves from just the halal and the haram to go to the praiseworthy. There are blameworthy things and praiseworthy things. And if we want success in the long term, and if we're really concerned about that and we have that vision, we're concerned about what does Allah want from me in this particular moment. What's most pleasing to him? What's most pleasing to him? Not what's this halal and haram, what's most pleasing? Then, you know, adopting the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam, then we will have success, I believe, yeah? And w- that's a huge responsibility. And one thing we can do is to enroll people in our behavior and, and, and also just encourage that narrative. I keep on talking about these things and showcasing role models 
like Sheikh Hasan. So that brings us nicely into a recent post that you made on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and you're talking about providing role models and visionaries. Well, let's talk about that in the context of the online da'wah. Yes. Right? Uh, and two terminologies that you recently coined, uh, one being algorithm prostitution or algorithm prostitutes and da'wah pimping. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, now, without necessarily mentioning names, I never mentioned names anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't say we were, but we're not. Dili Hussein, Dili Hussein, Dili. Before I hand it over to Aki, because he's got some questions he wants to ask you, let me ask you this: because you don't mention names, Alhamdulillah, which is which is the safe and better, more righteous thing to do. What would you say to those who feel or may think that the very people that you may be alluding to? Are actually associated with you. Or like you yourself have maybe embarked in some level of pimping or algorithm prostitution. Mm, yes. Well, I now think, I'm, I'm saying, what would you say if some believed or because because you're not mentioning anyone clearly yeah, they're, specifically? They're, maybe, maybe they're right. May, and they should hold us to account. I'm, if anyone follows me on social media, I beg people to hold me to account. I'll get upset. If people wanted to say something, with regards to my public work and they never said it, I would be upset with them. What's your views on the state of the online dawah? I'm mean, talking about the YouTubers, the to and fro's, the sectarian to and fro's. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. Let, 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 I guess first question to ask is this term dawah pimping, what did you mean by it? Yeah, as, so, as, 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 so you, I, I'll pick it up here. Yeah, so I, I think it's very important for us to define things properly and people like misread things. Mm. And people were upset that I used that word, I connected pimp to dawah, yeah? but it's actually kind of deliberate and it's very well thought out. Because I want people to derive a that's principle. A bit of a that's a bit of prostituting those, isn't it? You, you used a tongue-in-cheek word. No, not really, because I think it's in part of our tradition. Like, you know, when Allah says they're like animals. No, nay, they're worse. Yeah. So sometimes you have to use rhetorical ploys to get people to think. That's, yeah? that's Allah describing certain types of disbelievers. Yeah, for sure. Hey, hey, I'm not saying it's hey, equivalent. Hey, hey, I'm hey, saying hey, the use of language. Here you're talking about conveying the message of Islam, the work of the prophets and the anbiya and linked it to pimping and prostitution. No, 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 I didn't do that. That, that's, that's, that's a ridiculous framing of what I've said Dawah means to make a call And you, they're making a call to something And pe the way people make the call New term, Dawah pimps Yeah, can the, I read it? I'll read it yeah. No, no, oh, I'll you read it. it You read it, yeah The organisations and leaders that only In capitalised Give platform to capitalised Popular Muslims to deliver Capitalised Islamic knowledge For the only reason of popularity Even though Better alternatives exist Although they would never Allowed their families to follow them and then complain about the state of our community. When I raised my voices because it was capitalized, the, the screenshot <laughs> will be there uh, on the screen so you can see. Yeah, so who disagrees with that principle? Like, think about it. Let's unpack what I'm talking about. Yeah, so, so I know there are organizations and leaders that have done that, that they would never want their children to emulate this person, but they've only allowed this person to come get involved to, to deliver Islamic knowledge. It's not fundraising, Islamic knowledge. For only because they're popular, not because they have anything to give. And if they do have something to give, the you know they haven't outweighed the maslaha, masada, the the benefit and the harm. Because if that person continues to be popular in the way that they are, it's going to create far more damage to our community. And then they complain about the state of our community when we have people like this in 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 the dawah. Well, report yourself. Have some principles. Success 
irrespective of popularity, irrespective of what strategies you, you adopt, success only comes from Allah. Shreyb alayhi salam, mm. indeed success comes from Allah alone. Yeah, It's never going to be intrinsically because of your strategy. Yeah, It's like an operational form of shirk in a way. Yeah, No, it's not Allah, it's me. If I adopt A, B and C, that's my success. No, your success is going to come from Allah. It that's could right. be you sitting at home. Yeah, mm -hmm. Allah knows. The point here is, we need to raise our game and be more ethical. But why the word pimping and prostitution? And then that's, that was deliberate. It's a hyperbolic way, a rhetorical ploy of getting people's attention. Yeah, for okay. sure. And I feel it's important because of the gravity of the issue. People complain, I'm like, do you know how grave this issue is? Remember, these are indications having no sincerity. These are indications of this is just about the dunya. These are indications of you're not having, you know, Allah's pleasure in mind. And I'm this is this is my sector. At the end of the day, if you don't like it, then maybe you have a problem. Yeah, what? because we need to elevate our standards. This is your sector. It's my. I feel, of course, extreme ownership. What I mean by this is my sector is, I'm part of the Dawa. I lead. I've led the global Dawa organization, so leading another the, so organization. You, so so, so, so you're I, a, I feel you're a, a sense a godfather of godfather for the pimps. No, God's sake! I'm trying to feel. I'm, I feel a sense of duty, mm. and. Obviously, that starts, yeah, that starts with myself and it starts with helping others as well. I would never mention names because everyone is on a journey. I was on my own journey too and I'm still on my own have journey. Have you ever picked? But you, I want to create a narrative have you where people see where the biggest standard is, that the best standards are. Have you? Yeah. Okay, so let me ask you something. Do you feel that you're being so open about it now and, and being quite shadid about it? Do you feel like you played a role in creating some of the pimps and prostitutes in the Dao scene? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 because a true reflection comes after introspection. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so let me, let me. Um, Do you feel like you've had a hand in creating, influencing, some of the problematic figures that we have in the online scene? That's what I'm saying. Without, without, without the banter. Like celebrity mercenaries. Di direct, directly, no, not in the in when I became more influential from a leadership perspective, but when I, I was doing. When I wasn't in those leadership positions, maybe absolutely I've said on record before that a lot of my stuff was a lot of it, you know, there was a conflict between doing it for the sake of Allah and doing it for ego. There was a conflict between, you know, wanting popularity and, you know, not, you know, and and and, and doing and actually doing the right thing. And I, I've mentioned this before. I was in Chicago about 10 years ago, just over 10 years ago, actually. And, you know, one of the brothers just ripped into me and said, look, you think you're a superstar, you're giving lecture here, there, what are you doing, who are you creating, who are you developing? I went back to the IR office, the operation manager at that time, I sat with him, I started crying, I made a commitment that... But you cry a lot though, generally. Yeah, I do, yeah, but for the right reasons. Of yeah, course, yeah, I never said for the wrong reasons. Yeah, sure. So, um, what, what happened was, is uh, I, I said, I'll make a commitment, I'll make a commitment, and that commitment is that I'll try and develop others... You know, empower other people to be better than me, yeah, which is easy, but to create, you know, du'at that are more in line with the Quran and the Sunnah and so on and so forth. And that really changed the trajectory of my da'wah, mm. yeah. And I ended up, you know, writing a book as a result because when I was developing courses for IERA, the, that course actually became the, the base of my book. That book now was a bestseller, translated over 11 languages or so. And all because of a slight change in strategy has empowered people. Then I became CEO, then I also CEO of Sapiens now. And some of these things that I've learned, I'm really like, there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that we do to help people and develop. Hamza, you're not online anymore. Yeah, I've got other work to do. There's other things we've structurally. Opened, we've, we've opened a YouTube channel. Yeah, I have, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't post what, uh, regularly, but is, I have. Is that an attempt to kind of show how, it, how you think it should be done? Yes. Okay. So I, I felt 
and that was from the Sepanja retreat in Turkey, yeah. the visionaries. I felt I need to, I, I talk about enrolling, not controlling. Like the Prophet ﷺ, he wanted the Sahaba to shave their heads. You know, they had Yira for the deen. They were a bit disheartened about the treat of Hudaybiyah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were a bit reluctant. And the Prophet went to his wife, Um Salama, anha, and she advised him, shave your head then. And when he shaved his head, the Sahaba followed. So likewise, we have to enroll, not control. I, I don't like controlling. I think that's a sign of weakness. Uh, especially from a prophetic masculinity point of view, you should try and be the change as best as possible. So the I did the YouTube channel to try and enroll people in that correct way of being and maybe talk about things that people need, not what they want. Because a lot of the DAO today is the algorithm prostitution type thing that you just follow the algorithm. You don't give people what they need, you give them what they want. And that is not what Duat should be doing, generally so in, speaking. So, so in later terms, when you talk about um, algorithm prostitution, are you talking about just jumping on bandwagons and trending stories? No, no, because sometimes that's, uh, that's, be, be, a, that's be, a good marketing strategy. I actually defined it very well. So if you, But we can yeah. never conclusively know how the algorithms work, though. You know this. Obviously. Yeah, but right, so you, get, you, get, you get a you, hunch. Yeah, you get yeah. an indication. And you follow numbers. Yes. And you see it. But the thing is this. If you go to many of, of the famous Duat, and you go on the YouTube channel, you'd be scrolling for a long time to find things like wildlife worthy of worship, which is central to our deen. You'd find you'd you'd be you'd be hard pressed to find things that are of value, that are timeless, not just reactionary, in order to empower people to understand the deen better. A deep spiritual subjects that will really help. Well, people things that them. things that they need. Yeah. Yeah. And that for me shows that we just misaligned our priorities. Shaitan's tricked us. Now, don't get me wrong. A lot of good work is happening, yeah? A lot of good work is happening. But the algorithm prostitution wasn't about just just the marketing issue. Remember, I'm, I want to be very specific. It was basically using the algorithm to get likes and shares and to promote yourself for the sole intention of making some kind of egotistical or financial gain under the false guise of an Islamic uh, uh, reason, although it's not. Can I ask you something? And many of them are not like that. Of course they have ikhlas. So I'm always very careful and specific so with I, my okay, with my terminology so they understand the okay. principle. Yeah? We're not the victims themselves of a trap. Yeah, of course they are, yeah. So can I, and we need to help everybody. We need to help each other. So I'm not we're not going to mention any names, but when you were writing those polls, did you have names in your head? A few. Okay. Zui, are you convinced with Hamza's explanation of his usage of prostitution and pimps with the word dawah? I am because I think uh, Hamza explained that the purpose of using those words specifically was to provoke uh, yes, a response and dialogue on the subject. It's a serious issue, guys. Like this is probably their most serious issue. And we're like, ah, I just leave it. Why are you hating for? I'm sorry. I'm involved in this. As, I'm not an outsider, you see. And that's what makes it a little bit more dangerous if you want to, you know, understand it from that perspective. It's I, always fun being an insider, isn't it? Yeah, obviously. But you just we, kamikaze you know, but we have duties and we have, you know, things that we have to... Uh, Look, great work is happening. You get people that, you know, when we when I was managing IER and even now you have outreach specialists all around the world sacrificing, you know, doing great work, ikhlas, not even well known. There's some amazing work going on. So my perspective was more about the online stuff that is happening, yeah? Well, like for example, take prophetic masculinity. Some people have hijacked this. Well, this is leading on to kind yeah, of the, the yeah. wrapping up of the podcast. Yes. Let's address the issue of masculinity yes. but, be- but before we do well i think many of the guys are not masculine frankly agreed yeah, how could you, you uh, you're man boys agreed. some of them are man boys some of them have tra- did, traumatic experiences what, from the upbringing and they project it to the world yeah well, well this is it i mean and we, you could tell and if you don't if you can't tell then you're part of the problem as well to be honest no, we, we're talking about examples of some of the online content 
and some of the things that may have triggered this introspection, this reflection, and ultimately this definition that you want to put forward and get people to engage with this idea of Dao pimping and algorithm prostitution. There is a show that I've been watching recently on YouTube, yeah, called Bitter Truth. Um, and yeah, mention names. I want I, 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 I want to share some reflections on I don't know the, the purpose behind a pro, uh, you know content like this, uh, a program like this, a show like this, and 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 really engage on whether we think that this is something which is helpful. Look, yeah, I remember we've been criticised before. Look, for, for, I, for, for, I think it's perfectly fine to criticize anyone. It's not a problem. It's not hating. You, you you you're doing it because you love Allah. You have gear for the Deen. You love the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And to be honest, if everyone complains about this, then they lack prophetic masculinity. They don't have the masculinity of the Sahaba because the Sahaba would want to be held to account, especially if it was about pleasing Allah. So so, so so I, I this is I, I when people call it hating, I think that's this immature. Not, not, yeah. Yeah. No, I need to clarify something quickly yeah. first. Yeah. Uh, Adi's a dear brother of mine, yeah. yeah, and we we consult with one another on certain issues. Yeah, for sure. You know, when when, when the Mufti Meng thing happened last Ramadan, he made a video. He consulted me. You know what I mean? So 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 we, we, there's there's transparency here. We've been help, We've been pulled up when we hosted Modestry, DJ Noreen Khan from BBC Asian Network. We've done it before. We we hold each other to account, but. Aki is talking about a, a specific show with a specific yes. guest but, but on, I a, on, a, I on a specific topic. I'm gonna be honest. I don't really follow that stuff. No, I may see clips here and there. So I can't make a judgment, yeah? Uh, but what we know of the brothers, the brothers are sincere and they're good brothers. However, the clips that I have seen have been horrendous. Because think about it, if you put yourself in a public position and you and and whether you come across that way or not, people are gonna see you as an Islamic ambassador, yeah? And if you're coming across in a way that this is masculinity, well fine. But say it's say it's not don't say it's Islamic masculinity. Because I want people to ask a question. Would the Prophet Wasallam say this? Would he act like this? Yeah? Because that is our reference for masculinity. So. You can't be coming across this because you got your own traumas, maybe Allah knows, yeah, or whatever the case may be. Don't take people on that journey online. It's it's unhealthy and it's not befitting of a Muslim. Deal with it yourself. The point here is... Is it an inevitable reaction of the other side though? Of the emasculation of... Agreed. But this is the problem. I've mentioned this in, a, in another podcast. Who cares? I don't care if red pill may have some wisdom in it or this pill or green pill. This is all irrelevant to because me. You had, a bit of, you, you had a bit of blowback even when you did it with our brother Jaladin Patel's yeah, podcast. Yeah, but I said this. Do not react. A real man... Prophetic masculinity is not to be like, oh, this is uh, shirk. These people are against shirk. I'm going to follow these people irrespective of anything else. No, you say, what does Allah want from me? So for a Muslim, we say, how would the Prophet ﷺ react? How, what does the Quran say about these issues? What does Allah want from us? That's what a real man does, bro. Mm -hmm. Not just adopting another narrative and mixing a bit of truth and falsehood and just creating this gender war, creating this ego you know this ego nonsense yani i i mean to be fair i have had far more frustrations and i have i don't want to say i got angry but i felt look if we claim to love the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam how dare we market masculinity in this way let's just be honest yeah because if the prophet was alive some of these brothers potentially would challenge the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam come on man 
If you really study his life, meaning if they looked at his softness, his compassion, some the, examples, the, the manifestations life, yeah. of him, yes. in his, his, how he was being at his service wife. to his family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't get me wrong; the person was extremely br- brave. He was on the front line in the battle. He was extremely wow, brave. He was courageous. Managed, but some, also, he was, sometimes how you manage conflict. Of course, but the thing is, we 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 become reductionists. Like we accuse the atheists of becoming reductionists when it comes to the They take an, a verse and they say, "Look, look at this verse. Islam is wrong." Hey, hold on a second. Read the verse before, after. Look at all the principles and ethics, all of that stuff. We we challenge that reductionism when it comes to our enemies, but then we adopt the same reductionism when it comes to things like masculinity. Hold on a second. Just admit you're not qualified to talk about these things and shut your mouth. This is about the Prophet and about Allah. And also that this you're not sure. about and it's not it's not about me. And you're like, oh, but I have evidence. Well, as Sheikh Haydam once said, since when was one evidence enough for many things? <laughs> since when was Islam based on one hadith? One hundred percent. Yeah. I know people are gonna get upset by this. I haven't mentioned names. And I would never mention no, names. No, you haven't. I did. And but you know the funny thing I didn't is, mention names. no, but that you Shoot. mentioned a show that I I'm, I haven't really analyzed, so I'm not I'm commenting in general. Yeah. yeah, we're reflecting on the show. Yeah. So look, the thing is, we have to be very very careful. You're doing algorithm prostitution there. Who listen, who guys? We we have to be careful who we invite, yeah. and we have to be careful in terms of what they say. And if they say something that's blameworthy, we should be learned enough. We'll have someone who's learned amongst us to take them, hold them to account. Because mm. we're going to create a narrative over time that is going to be very hard to um, basically fix. Yeah? yeah. So look, it takes five minutes for a child. Like if you have a one-year-old and then you potty training or a nine-month-year-old, it would take them five minutes to like urinate and, 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 and just basically poo on the carpet. Yeah. It would take you five hours to clean it up. Similar with the online world, it, would t- it could take you five minutes to make a mess. It would take a long time to actually clean it up, fix yeah, it up. 100%. So we have to a little bit, bit more mature. This is not business. This is not about me. This is not about my likes, my channel, or my money. This is about Allah and His Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And we have to be extremely careful. So my advice would be to these brothers is just ask yourself this question: From what space is this coming from? How will people perceive me? Forget what you've said on the record. You have to also manage as a public figure people's perceptions. How do you avoid the gender wars? Because it's, it's, it's come to our community now. It's here. Well, it's very simple. Just follow Islam, man. That's all we need to do. Speak about what Allah and His Messenger have said. And if people don't like it, then that's their problem. It's as simple as that. And I, I'm a true believer. The more we talk about Allah and His Messenger, the more we talk about prophetic masculinity in its holistic and, and proper sense. Not just talking about the Do you have any stuff. recommendations for anyone who embodies that? Shaykhatham. Aside, anyone who specifically addresses these issues to do with prophetic masculinity, Muslim as per the Quran and Sunnah, is there anyone? To be honest, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I do like some people personally. You don't want to name them, but right? to name them because I haven't assessed all of their work, and okay. I, I'm a public figure. I don't want to be taken like, "Hey, this is Hamza's recommendation." Okay. Um, but there is a good book by uh, Dr. Dawood Ibrahim. No, Walid, I think. Oh, Dawood Walid, yeah, yeah, he's got yeah, a book yeah, called yeah, Fatua. Yeah, yeah, That's a really good book. Talks about courage. Talks about you know, service. He's a gem. He's a gem. It's a really good book. Stud. I haven't read the whole thing though, but from what I've seen, it's it's, it's fantastic. And and you've raised the point. We need people to actually come out and talk about what prophetic masculinity is, without thinking about what are the feminists going to say, and what are the red pill people going to say, and what are these guys going to say, and this kind of what about tree. Forget that rubbish. Just what did the prophet say? When you look at the Quran and the Sunnah holistically. What is the ethic, the principle, the narrative, the solution for this particular issue? Speak about that. Mm. You don't have to frame it using alien ideologies or whatever the case may be. 
It's irrelevant. Some of these brothers who do that, oh, just take the good from Red Pill, brother, and leave the bad. Okay, so how do you know what the bad is? How do you know what the good is? You need an external reference, which is the Quran and the Sunnah. And why don't you be a bit more consistent in your methodology? You don't do that with organizations. Take yeah. the good from that organization, leave the bad. Yeah. This is a hypocrisy. Yani, be consistent in your method. Yeah. So my view is we need a revival of people talking about the Prophet wasallam and talking about the Quran in terms of how to deal with these particular issues. Islam does not have a gender war. It doesn't exist in our tradition. We don't have gender arrogance. Yeah, yes, the, the believing be men and the believing women are of allies of one another. Absolutely. So yes, uh, we're not going to adopt word, neoliberal words like misogyny. No, because Islam doesn't have misogyny at all. It's not an injustice towards women because they're women. We we may maybe we can use the words yes we are patriarchal, but not in a an Islamic sense. What about toxic masculinity? Like patri patriarchy, for example, if you define it as the uh, social system where the father or the eldest son yeah, the has 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 uh, authority. The yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, That's perfectly yeah, fine. Yeah. And we say these are necessary, most mo necessary moral hierarchies that have Absolutely. served humanity well, served Islam well. What about toxic masculinity? Is there any aspects of masculinity that you deem is toxic that can be deemed well, as toxic? Well, well, no, but that's, that's characteristics that, are unhelpful and are harmful. No, but but this is the problem. When we say masculinity in Islam, we're talking about prophetic and Quranic masculinity. Mm. That could never be toxic. So when someone says toxic masculinity, it's like a contradiction or oxymoron, really, in in a way. What we, and we don't want to adopt baggage that maybe liberals or feminists use because it has its own ideological frame of reference. We need to invent our own language. We're saying. There is no such thing as toxic masculinity in Islam because if you're a true masculine, if you have true masculinity, then it's upon the example of the Prophet. It's upon the example of the Prophet. So if, if something is toxic or unjust, it's just a Muslim being unjust, a Muslim not following the Quran and the Sunnah. Yeah. And that's the narrative we should be um, uh, uh, expressing. And we need to be brave as du'at, not to jump on alien ideological bandwagons like red pill or this, that nonsense, and even have these discussions. Sometimes you shouldn't even have these discussions because they're already, they're already, they've been discussed in our tradition. We already have the Quran and Sunnah. We should just be giving solutions, right? So I'm a strong believer of doing that. And that's not really happening, to be honest. But so I have, I did have felt that I, on my channel, I want to do a whole series on prophetic masculinity, on what is hell, what is forbearance, what is compassion, what is love, what is taking care of your women folk, what is being brave and courageous and being strong. These things are very important, of course. And one would argue on a wider scale, strategically speaking, that people, some of the maybe imams or mashayikh or du'at, they haven't really been assertive enough on these issues because Agreed. You, I, I know as well. They've left, a they created a vacuum. They've created a vacuum. But and then they started speaking up when it all started getting pear shape. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So and how does so, that make sense? Yeah, it doesn't. It's inconsistent. <laughs> and that's why the door swings both ways. It's not just these brothers adopting alien narratives or alien frames of reference, but it's also the mashayikh and the du'at that we love and respect adopting maybe a closet feminist narrative yeah. as well because they're very because before they're, you they're know very, everyone will start swinging bare ways yeah they're very they're very cautious about what our sisters going to say sisters who may be inclined to liberalism or sisters inclined to feminism we're not going to get the support or the or, you know we're not going to be as popular now but that's the problem because your criteria now for you know how you, your way of being as as a leader or as someone who is a public figure is totally messed up Always remember, what does Allah want from me? Allah wants you to speak the truth. Allah wants you to convey the message with hikmah and hasana, with wisdom, with applied ilm, wisdom, understanding the context, and with hasana, which implies rahmah and goodness. This is what Allah wants from you, right? 
No. Am I going to win these people over? Then I'm going to stay silent on this issue all the time. And your excuse is going to be, oh, well, this is not really my field. Well, with all due respect, come on. So the door swings both ways. So the general principle is, I really advise the brothers, and I want people to hold me to account as well. Ask the question, what does Allah want from me in this context? What does what did Allah and the Prophet وسلم, say, holistically, we bring all the evidences together, say about this particular topic? And if people are going against that, they should not be given platform. And if they're given platform, they should be challenged. And I haven't seen that happening. And that for me is, I have love for the Prophet with all due respect, I love Prophet more than I love you. And you know, if it has to come to a time where we have to get a bit more assertive on this, then so be it. Because at the end of the day, I'm not going to allow you or anyone to take the Prophet and you know, drag his name through the mud, directly or indirectly, just because you've got people who, who perceivably are coming across as ambassadors on this topic. Even though they say I'm not an ambassador, but the online world doesn't work that way. Let's not be naive, yeah? So we have to have a sense of maturity. You and, are it without claiming. And Habibi, all, all, of the, all of this is linked to vision. What is your vision for your life? Mm. How do you see the world? Is it Allah-centric? Is it Akhirah-centric? If that's in place for many people, bro, you don't even need to tell them what to do. Mm. Honestly, and that's the problem. That's why I think, you know, retrospectively, ret retrospectively speaking, that's what we want to focus on with the visionaries, getting people to think seriously about what are your criteria for success? What is a vision that is Allah-centric, Akhirah-centric? Who must you be and what must you do? At the moment, and it's quite plain to see that they don't have that vision. Their vision just ends with themselves. Their vision ends with the popularity. Yes, they may have love for Islam. They want Islam to, to flourish and people to live by divine values. But they have this kind of, you know, uh, they've mixed it all up, right? They, they've they've said like banana priorities, yeah? Just like with debating in, in Dawah, bro. Mm -hmm. Yes, debate is part of Dawah. But it's not the primary form. Like Allah says, uh, with hikmah and hasan, like these are nouns, yeah? And then Allah says, and وَجَادِلْهُمْ And debate with them in ways that are best. Absolutely. Razi, you know what Razi said about this? He said, He's in a, you're Bro, Razi. he said this da'wah, uh, debating is not even part of da'wah. Which is, I don't think it's a mainstream view. But he said it because of the grammatical structure, the two nouns and you have a verb. But three different scholars, Imam Nasafi, Ibn Kathir, Jamakhshari, different theological backgrounds. They all said, if you're going to debate, it has to, primary has to be, no gruffness, no harshness. You know, uh, you know, awakening people's hearts, being compassionate. Since, yeah. And yes, and then if you're going to change that strategy, you need to understand the maslaha mafsada, the benefit, the harms, and the context. But you can't start like that. And also, the primary way of da'wah is not even debating. It's hikmah and hasana. Hikmah meaning applied ilm, understanding the context, uh, and having an objective to win people over. It's not just about you being right. And also hasana, which implies rahmah and mercy. And then Allah says, and debate with them in ways that are best. And the wow here is very interesting. The wow has many grammatical functions, rhetorical functions. And elsewhere, I think it's chapter 6, verse 61 or verse 67. The wow is used in, in a similar way that you're connecting like a noun clause with a, verb, with a verbal clause, yeah, with a verb. And that itself indicates that if you're going to debate, it has to be in line with the nouns, hikmah and hasana. Where did you get that from? I got it from the uh, um, um, Arabic grammar dictionary, and no, I, I and I and I and I confirmed this with the sheikh. Okay, so that's, okay. Cool. Yeah, I always, uh, if I'm going to do that, I have to you know be careful because I'm not an expert. So bringing the podcast to a close is there something that you want? Yeah, to I just want to look. I want to make a final reflection from my perspective. Anyway, since I brought the subject up of a specific show, um, I watched the show. I watched more than a couple of episodes of the show just to get an idea before I make an opinion. Oh sure, and. Um, and look, I'll make it very clear. I love Ali. I love his work. 
he's got great work ethic he's active he's there he addresses things necessary he's he's on the pulse um and i know that he has genuine and sincere intentions um and there is a reality especially in social media especially on online that there is a conflict between brothers and sisters especially on the subject of relationships marriage compromises what is masculinity what is a good wife what is a bad wife what are the qualities you want what are the qualities you don't want what makes what gives longevity in a relationship what doesn't um, and all of those things that desirable in spouses yeah, and, and also the specifics of a relationship living in the west and all these things and perhaps the inter- Allah Alam, perhaps the intention was to bring it into a platform where people can discuss um, and perhaps come to a compromise share some ideas um, highlight some of the issues in their own views through hearing conf- uh, views that they wouldn't agree with uh, to begin with before the show um, and what and, and truly what i found which is why i brought it up was um the reality was you had the same views that were existing on social media from people being the people contributing on the show as guests and it just made me start to feel badly towards muslims towards muslims that were holding these wow. views and and that's why I stopped watching it i was like i don't like how i'm feeling towards my brothers and sisters uh, habibi who are, Look, i think I, i'm a i'm a huge fan of giving I haven't watched the show so but what you told me this is my constructive feedback yeah what we need to do that show this or, would apply to me as yeah, well yeah any type of show have yeah, yeah, yeah. this would yeah. apply to it me it's everybody podcast yeah, yeah. yeah. so what we need to do is this as well. they need to get so advice scholars us first. yeah people of yeah. ilm yeah. on your platform go through a series of what prophetic masculinity is and then have people even in a show format within the halal boundaries i think they're a bit too close to the brothers and the sisters to be honest yeah like i would never allow my wife to be on that platform never. no way no never. way no way and for a brother to speak to me like that and other dynamics you'll probably be dead can i say that yeah. anyway you know what i mean so the point is you know what i'm saying brother yeah habibi what i'm trying to say is what needs to happen is um that should happen so you're giving people what they need remember the dawah is about giving people what they need not what they want so do that prophetic masculinity with a bunch of mashayikh have people on in the forum or the 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 whatever the show the setting and they could discuss what the quran and sunnah say but to do this trial and error nonsense yeah with all due respect it it it's 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 blameworthy in my view because I've, we're not giving people what they need i've, I've been at fault for this as well my brother but i know I that Allah, I, forgive me I, i mean I, i've sometimes hosted certain episodes where upon reflection i shouldn't have and yeah but we, look bro wallahi no, my dear brother i'm the one to i i genuinely believe that when i walk outside of my house i believe every muslim is better than me yeah because i know my sins i don't know anyone else's sin and the default ethical position is to have husn al-dhan yeah so Since I know something about myself, I don't know anything about their private lives or what or their sins. Then by default, I am worse. Like I think Hassan Abbasri said, humility is to walk this at yourself. This should be our, this should be our standard mindset anyway. Bro. Agreed. But we want to reiterate this because I want people to think, oh my God, look, the the preaching. To, no, I've made probably more mistakes than most people. Bro, I just said that I am blameworthy for doing this. Yeah, you're, thing you're, yeah. So I'm just saying to you, everyone's on a journey, Achi. And mm-hmm. what we want people to understand from this conversation thus far is that you know we're just advising our brothers that you're going to make mistakes. brothers love you we love each other for the sake of allah and we want to optimize your work and i think when it comes to shows like this and other things give people what they need first from an ilmi point of view you have scholars who are mainstream and and respected get people to discuss those points you pulled me up at the uyghur demo do you not remember about hosting a certain brother about a certain topic you know 
who did you consult? You've done it a few times. Yeah, yeah of course. And but we have been, that relationship. Yeah, and you've been right to do so. You've yeah. stuck it on me a few times. What, what was the what was the muscle in hosting this specific guest? Yes, yeah, yeah sure. in a specific setting. And you've held, you've held me to account. And look, and and, and, oh. and often you'll find the initial reaction the nafs doesn't like it. The initial reaction it maybe may the nafs doesn't like. Well, Lahi, all the du'a should train that they should love it. Yes, I've I've tried to train myself like this because you know why? Because it's about self identity, bro. It's hard thing like, to train. I think Numan Ali Khan mentioned this. It was a very be beautiful point. So if someone gives you advice and you react, then you have the ego problem. Mm. We have to yearn, yearn uh, criticism, constructive, even if it's bad. And even when I get challenged online and people hate me, but they give me something good, I'm like, that point was really good. I'm going to improve and I'll get back to you later. Yeah. Because this is about Allah's pleasure, bro. This is a massive responsibility. Yeah. And remember, this is a favor from Allah. You know, if Allah says in chapter 49, I think verse 17, about the Arabs who felt that he, that faith yeah. was, was a favor to the Prophet Allah says to the Prophet say, uh, you being a Muslim is a favor from Allah. So if being a Muslim is a favor from Allah, imagine calling other people to Iman. It's a compounded favor, bro. And and we're just we're just Allah just uses us to manifest His His will and power and His names and attributes. We're just rearrangement of carbon. This is not about us. Is you know as Allah says, it's not that you that threw. It was Allah that threw. All success from Allah. We're the means. And what happens? And the, this is the greatest spiritual disease of ajab, self amazement, vanity that we think we are the means and the ends. But no, you don't focus on the means. Focus on the creator of the means. And mm -hmm. once you do that, you have to respond with gratitude, humility, istighfar, and turning back to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Hamza Mahdi bro, it's an absolute honor having you on. Likewise, bro, may Allah bless you, man. I mean, and um, uh, I know there's lots happening with Sapiens. I mean, this episode will drop in Ramadan. I know you've got your The Victory fundraising tour. Dinners, yeah. Dinners, yeah. yeah. We'll put the link in the description, oh, inshallah. Bro, may Allah bless you. And uh, I pray all the success for yourself in this I mean, life and the next. And now all our brothers at Sapiens. And everyone in the Dao, bro, because it's not easy. It's not. It's not easy. It's hard. Yeah. And um, one of the greatest challenges that we have is sometimes being corrected, right? And the need to be corrected when we get it wrong. Yes. And to have brothers around us who can correct us. Um, so yeah, I think, it's, I think it's something, a difficult task, but a necessary one. And um, yeah, it was a pleasure having you on, my dear brother, four years later. Brothers and sisters, I hope you thoroughly enjoyed today's episode as much as we did. Uh, I remind you all that you can find this show on all the major audio platforms. Of course, remember to subscribe to the Five Pillars YouTube channel. Leave a comment, like this video. You'd have an option to dislike these days. And um, until next time, Salaamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullahi wa Barakatuh. Blood Brothers Podcast, Five Pillars Production.